Welcome, welcome, welcome. Joining me today is Damo Poromka. Hello. And myself, Jared Walker. We're going to guide you through a inane chatter. Which brings me to the first question, Damo, is what have you been watching this it's, week? It seems to be a current <laughs> or a consistent thing that we kick off with The Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's the must watch immediately it as it's as available. i got to look at it. I liked it. Yeah, it was it was a good episode. Episode Lo- four, by the way. Uh, five. Five? Five. Five? Four? four. Five? Yeah. Yeah, four was uh, Gina Carano. Is it episode five already? Five, yes. And um, most notable, because this is the first one that hasn't been written by Favs. Oh. And uh, Dave Filoni actually oh, he, directed this one. I saw his name one. come back, yeah. Dave Filoni being the aforementioned sort of Buddha of uh, um, Lucasfilm and at least the Star Wars universe and Star Wars lore and... This one felt very fan servicey, and that wasn't a bad thing. I was enjoying it. Well, look at where we were, where we were. Yes, back like, on Tatooine. Yeah, that even featured a scene in the booth where Han shot Greedo, which I have to say tickled me somewhat. I'm gonna have to watch again. Yeah, yeah. There's a sequence in the cantina. When, yeah, yeah. Uh, when the Mandalorian arrives in the cantina and talks to the droid who's polishing glasses at the bar, which I thought was terrific. The droid uh, with a head that, as my wife, uh, Alison, pointed out, has a head that looks like a KitchenAid. <laughs> <laughs> but they do, they do look a bit KitchenAid-y. But there's a sequence featuring the uh, young bounty hunter in a booth. And they sit down in the booth and I thought, I know that background. All I could think about is, McClunky. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So, uh, hey, what a wonderful addition that is to the series. Were... <laughs> uh... Now, I, I should actually elaborate on this, dear listener. Is uh, McClunky McClunky is once again George Lucas meddling about with the Star Wars films, and uh, obviously George Lucas has long held that uh, um, he's not abandoning these films to the eyes of the audience. He's going to keep meddling with them and making changes. And meddle he does. And meddle he does. And he had three 4K reversioned versions of the Star Wars original trilogy ready to go, and I believe they changed hands when Disney purchased Lucasfilm. So they had them. They're the versions that are running on Disney Plus at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Then they threw them up there when Disney Plus launched. And the most hilarious thing is the the infamous Han shot first Greedo sequence that Lucas has fiddled about in the edit with it so many times. Um, doing a, there's a CG shift where Han seems to move f- to the side. It's awkward. Like he's dodging Greedo's it's uh, just blaster. Nobody moves like that. <laughs> it's it's up there with that awful walking over Jabba's tail scene, oh, um, which is just so horrendous. I couldn't believe it. As Simon Pegg, uh, the actor and famed geek, once pointed out, that's like having a scene where someone steps on... Uh, uh, Vito Corleone's toes or something and and mocks him. It's like that wouldn't happen. He's like the most feared space gangster in the galaxy and uh, Han Solo's stepping on his tail. It's like this working document that George Lucas thinks he can just dip his fingers in and fiddle with things but and make changes. there's a whole wiki page devoted to episode four, which mm. wasn't when it came out, mm. of the changes that were made and, and from the re-release because it got Star Wars got re-released prior yes. to Empire coming out. Yeah. I think he was even tinkering as early as that. Yeah, oh, he's a control freak. That absolutely was a big concern, I think, on the on Empire because uh, famously he just plowed as much money as he had access to into Empire Strikes Back and he, they had bank loans and everything funding that. That's an independent film. I mean, the Star Wars films are independent films or they were till Disney purchased Lucasfilm. 
So that's how he maintains control. He doesn't want meddling, which is kind of ironic. Considering he's the meddler. Considering he is the meddler, like a Batman villain. He needs that's a, I was going to say. It's purple, like certain, certain purple suit. cartoon suit. No, villain. <laughs> a purple suit with like uh, little images of film clips being cut all over the suit, like the Riddler. But it's just, <laughs> there's something about George Lucas's never-ending mission to completely rework elements of these films, and they never are better. Why Bugger them up. It's weird. It's the sort of nature. Even if I think even he now has such a distorted perspective on these films, mm. I think it's kind of affected. McClunky. Uh, his, uh, yeah, his creative vision I think is tainted massively. He's, he's, he keeps there's things obviously that bother him about that Greedo sequence. So Han kills Greedo without Greedo firing a shot because Greedo's going to kill him. And that but I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. It makes and it feeds into his. He's a space pirate. He's yeah. kind of a rogue guy for hire. He's That's, a guy for hire, and yeah. you know what? He's going to kill you and shoot. He might even shoot you in the back if it's going to mean he will survive and get yep. away to live another day. And that's the thing with Han Solo, because that's his his arc that then did with the changing the Greedo scene is it then completely shifts his character arc he's not meant to be a good quote-unquote good guy when the film starts he learns that and that's he comes back coming back at the end to save luke that's the point because he's like oh my god i got a conscious conscience he grows a conscience he grows a sense of responsibility for his fellow rebel fighter you know rather than just taking his money and running he decides he's going to help george if he you, you want to meddle go ahead and meddle go ahead and recut but just give us the original just allow the original to stand on its own and so we can go back to that if we want to but back to the episode it was quite good it i could tell that um it wasn't written by john favreau it just didn't there was some kind of there's a real sort of beautiful simplicity to the episodes that have been so far and it just kind of lacked that it felt a little clunkier but not not tremendously so not so bad that it actually disrupted the enjoyment of the show i I actually quite enjoyed it you can sort of feel the um you can feel a different writer and that that was quite noticeable the gunslinger is the name of the episode toro is the bounty hunter that's uh, sitting toro calican and he's sitting in the He's sitting in a booth and he sort of uh, interrupts the conversation with the droid and then the Mandalorian goes over to the booth to have a, a conversation with him. And uh, yeah, Toro Calican was played by Jake Cannaval, who is the son of Bobby Cannaval. Uh, he's in uh, Irishman. He was in Blue Jasmine with Kate Blanchett, I remember that. And um, the Woody Allen film, back when Woody Allen was uh, acceptable to be spoken about in filmic circles. He's got a new one out, hasn't he? Is, is it Cafe Society? I, saw, I, I don't think, think that's up on streaming. Um, there's one, yeah. Uh, anyway, I, th- I think, uh, you know, given t- the sort of uh, proclivity for cancel culture these days, I think people just want him to go away because he is, quote, problematic. And um, unfortunately, um, he's a problematic person who's made some terrific films. I do. There's so many Woody Allen films, that Annie Hall, mm. all those Manhattan. Mm-hmm. They're enjoyable, but you can't, I just, it's like, oh God, Woody. <laughs> yeah, I know. So yeah, look, Baby Yoda still pretty cute. I do love the fact it's a robotic puppet. I think that adds a bit of character. Where's to the it. toy? Toys are coming. Apparently. I know, but I know, I know they did it intentionally. I know that, but surely they should be in a warehouse, <laughs> and Episode One <laughs> drops, and then bang, yeah, there yeah. you go, buy it. A huge dump truck of Baby Yodas. Oh, I'm going to be. There's going to be 
fights. I can tell. I'm going to be trampling over children in Kmart. You're kicking them out of the way. Get away from the Star Wars merch. What's that, that uh, Arnie, Arnie movie? Jingle all the way. Jingle all the way. <laughs> You'll be fighting fighting over Turbo Man. Exactly. Yeah, look, I personally think they should have maybe shipped the merch in time for Christmas. I think... Well, I uh, think it's going to be out in time in America. It'd be out in time for in America, but not in Australia. I don't so think. keep your eye on eBay, I guess. Yeah, look, you know, there's a few uh, shops here locally that I have seen online. And you can get uh, Baby Yoda t-shirts. Me, my favorite bit is when he takes a sip of that soup. Yes. When he's just watching, watching the other two fight. <laughs> just that moment. That was a nice touch. It's only a couple second shot, but mm. it's like brilliant. Yes, it was that. awesome. It's still working for me. I love the fact that everyone's kind of lost their minds over it. I think the world is kind of primed at the moment for any kind of escapist entertainment that has the, as much nostalgia as mm. Star Wars does yeah. have. I read this great interview with J.J. Abrams and he was talking about the baby Yoda phenomenon and the idea of using that as a, a hinge on which to um, turn the story for Mandalorian. And he, he said... Uh, that's it's a great idea. There's a beating heart there. That yep. was the phrase he used, and yep. he's absolutely right in terms of the story. There's there's something about Yoda and the emotions that, that I think people have that make them feel squishy on the inside when they think about their childhood, or is it Empire Strikes Back, or maybe it's Yoda from the prequels for a lot of people. But that character or the characterization of Yoda, the imagery around him and his ears, and just and just how cute that little character is, totally works. And I think yeah. it works for the series. I'm not quite sure what it'd be like if it was just a episodic adventures of a bounty hunter there's something that that, that really brings to it well i think it all just adds to the whole universe that it, i think without it you might you mightn't be yeah. along for the ride as as happily it has great characters but it really is a franchise that has a, a mix of things but the predominant thing i believe in star wars is the iconography mm. it is the des the design it's why ralph macquarie is so instrumental in the star wars universe and its success because the design elements and that's not i mean that's i, I want to leave out ilm and all those guys and joe johnston and a lot of the people that contributed to designs in star wars ron cobb is another one ron cobb is a terrific designer designed a lot of stuff in alien the ships dark star designed the ship in that um he's a really really great designer um he's, he's a bit like sid mead in terms of how the futurist sid mead that helped design blade runner Okay, and came up with a lot of conceptual designs for cityscapes and ships, the spinner that flies. But yeah, Ron Cobb designed the dropship in Aliens. Um, a lot of the stuff that uh, we cool loved ship. in Aliens. Yeah, he, uh, hardware he was terrific at, and uh, and buildings and. Yeah, the, the other thing I, I I think you know the the end titles, mm. the cl the credits have all those beautiful drawings. Yes, there's a book there. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there. I'm sure there will be. It's probably on a shelf. I, I prob in a probably don't need to tell Disney. They're probably going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I've no doubt they're going to eke out as much as as they can when it comes to merch. Um, I I think for me it's the sense of design, the style, the sound, which I think is so crazily important in the Star Wars films, and um, the sound design itself, and all those things that are so familiar now. Tie fighter flying past that kind of roar, yeah. and all those sounds that are just that, again, that's up. You, it's you know what iconic. it is when you hear it as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so iconoclastic. The, the the brilliant thing with the TV series is, you know, the Mandalorian walks from this doorway on the left of screen, mm. 
across the middle of frame, off to the right, and you can just let that. The pacing is right, like because yeah. it's a TV series, you don't need to try and do that in quick cuts. You can just let it do its thing, and yes. it's thirty-eight minutes this episode or thirty-one, whatever. Mm. That's another benefit of it. You don't, you're not constrained by time. Yes, and. I do like that it's got a, a pace that's very much all its own and, yeah, the the, ver- the varying durations of the episodes. Mm. I was always wonder, like, why the hell is a show an hour long? Why is it 30 minutes long? It doesn't matter. Um, that, and that's why... Uh, well, that's the beauty of the streaming thingies yeah. because they can do that. Yeah, it's not, right. a, not an issue. And that's, uh, I think, Manhunt, uh, Mindhunter, how- Mindhunter did, uh, like, when David Fincher was making that in the first season. I think there's a couple of episodes that are only half an hour and then there's episodes that go over an hour. So it's more whatever you need to tell the particular story arc for that episode is whatever you need. Yeah. I love that. But um, it does give them a bit of freedom. I think it bodes well, though, um, for um, Mandalorian. Episode five. Episode five. What have we got three to go then? I think it's three. Three or another five? Mm, It's eight or ten. Eight. And uh, Taika... Oh, so we've only got three. We've only got three, and that's it. But they are shooting the second season, which does mean it'll probably land like next early next year. I can't imagine they're going to make people wait too long. But again, they're going to time things. I think they're going to drip feed shows so that once Mandalorian finishes, there'll be a, probably a Marvel show that will start, and yep. it'll keep people hooked in. And I think they're going to try and do it like that. I don't think they're going to just dump content like Netflix do. Where um, sometimes on Netflix you'll be like, "Oh, it's a new series of X, Y, and Z," mm. and there'll be something else, and there'll be something else, and that sometimes they don't publicise things; they just, they just of, drop it. Yeah, and then you'll be like, "Oh wow, what's this?" And you'll just happen across things. But see, I I think we discussed it. I think the first time we spoke about the the fact that they wait a week. Here's another episode. Wait a week. Yeah. Here's another episode. I do like that. Mm. It brings back the office talk, you know, like the olden days when you'd watch a TV show, come into work the next day and you'd gibber about it. Mm. Talking about Series 3 of The Crown. Yeah. So I'll go and speak to Sue and say, have you seen Series 3 of The, of the Crown? No, I haven't watched it yet. Well, hurry up and watch it so that I can talk to you about it. And by the time they've watched it, I've forgotten it because <laughs> brain like a sieve. And then it would be the conversation. I love it when you've urged someone to watch something and it's been like a month and yeah. then they're like, oh, I watched season three of The Crown. You're like, oh yeah, good, good. And it, the 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 um the urgency is gone, and the the zeal yeah. has disappeared. It's all dissipated, and um, you just sort of like, oh yeah, good. Uh, I don't because want to talk about I, it. Now. I watched. I was crook for a couple of months ago, and I watched all of my, my what do you call it? Manhunter, mind, Mindhunter. I keep calling it Manhunter, and it's just annoying me. But yeah, mind so Hunter. series one, I, I watched Hunter. series one and series two in mm. two or three days on the couch, mm. and I think. Series one, I enjoyed. I thought it was terrific. Series two went on that slightly different road. Yes, yeah. And I think binging it also affected my enjoyment of it. Yeah. The second season of Mindhunter is uh, mainly concerned with uh, these child murders that occurred in Atlanta in the late 70s and yeah. early 80s. And it's really dramatic and really intense. And it's beautifully written and beautifully acted and shot. It's just quite a... It's the main concern with Mindhunter seems to be on the procedure and on the actual process, the day to day, the grind. But I enjoyed the, to... the first series because they're, they're, they're beginning the CIA's yeah. profiling and the FBI's. Sorry. Yeah, it's all right. And that's a real thing. Yeah. And that was fascinating to me because what can we learn mm. 
from these odd people yeah. that do these things. And then series two, I thought would, would develop on that, but then we went that way. It went completely, uh, sort of, it, it went it in was, a different it's, direction. It's a, but yeah. Yeah. Just right at the fork as opposed to a complete detour. Cause it's mm. still, but I ended up not liking the lead character. Right. Okay. He just irritated me by the end. Yeah. he does. And potentially that's my fault for binging it. Because it's a, each episode is a lot to take in. It's intense. It, there's a it was, lot of information. It was great. Sort of but I didn't enjoy it like I enjoyed series one. Mm. I do think some shows kind of lend themselves to being binged. Stranger Things. Stranger Things, or especially half-hour shows. And I think maybe it's because it, inherently Mindhunter is kind of episodic, even though it's not like it's a single film that's broken into pieces, which is what Stranger Things is like. Yeah. One single story that you're watching parts of, it's more episodic. It is broken up in terms of what's ha happening in it, but also the characters split apart as well um, because there's Bill Tench, the grizzled FBI agent, uh, older agent. And, and oh, with the, with the kid. With, whose yeah. son is yeah. um, involved in some um, ugly kind of uh, incidents. Oh, that's right. Yeah. locally with local kids. And so he's kind of pulled away. So the story then splits. So your attention is then divided. And there's a lot of I, reasons. I, I think for me, mm. I enjoyed him. So I probably was more interested in, in that dynamic yeah. or maintaining the whole serial killer interview thing. I, uh, I don't know. But David Fincher is actually working on a prequel to Chinatown. What? With Robert Town, the original writer of Chinatown, and that's happening for Netflix, and that'll be a series. And apparently, Fincher is actually gearing up to shoot the pilot. He's pitched the pilot. Netflix have bought that and going great. Okay, do that for us. But I don't think it's gone to series yet. So they haven't. So Netflix are sort of umming and ahhing. But, but why um and ah on that? Yeah, because they've got so much crap. Yeah. Yeah. That nearly, I nearly said shit. <laughs> you can actually say I shit. can, we I do, can. We do I? have an E next to this podcast. Okay. So. But uh, yeah, look, it's a prequel pilot. So I, I don't know what will come of that if Netflix will actually go to series and do like a whole run of it. And it's focusing on Jake Giddies, who was the character Jack Nicholson played in the original. And basically it's the arenas like landowners, oil, and gangs. So it's I'd watch rich. it. That sounds it, it sounds like it's absolutely that sweet spot with like LA confidential. I do not under don't even get me started about James Elroy because he's one of my favorite writers, but I do not understand why none of his books have been sort of adapted yet for streaming. It is insane, especially American Tabloid. Well, I'm sure Netflix are listening keenly. Oh, so American just... Tabloid is this epic Story involving CIA agents, FBI agents, mafiosos, uh, the Kennedy assassination, Cuban nationals training in training camps in the South of America, Bay of Pigs. See, all I want to watch that. It's just, I'm, when I read it, it absolutely melted my brain in terms of <laughs> this is the this is like a classic Godfather esque film in in the waiting, but it's just would a film do it justice? No, streaming would, and get on that, Netflix. But James Elroy is obviously LA Confidential, but because his films, uh, his books, sorry, essentially are a shared universe. So they kind of work in terms of if you wanted to do a prequel to LA Confidential, you could actually draw on material that exists in a lot of his other books. So the cat, there's characters. Well, that's, that's clever, then. Yeah. So the character Guy Pierce plays, Ed yep. Exley, features in a number of other books. Um, by James Elroy, set in the same period, all involving different stories. 
uh, like different mysteries and different sort of murder mysteries being investigated. So Ed Exley is a, a, a major character and th- there's other characters kind of cross paths as well. So why aren't they throwing money at this stuff then? Has he just I not got a very know. good agent or something? Yeah, I don't know. LA Confidential was, is hands down one of the best it, films of the nineties. And one of the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. Kim, Kim Bassinger. Yep. Yep. James Elroy is a bit of a fruitcake. Uh, I, lo- I love him as a writer, but yeah, he's a, he's a fruitcake. So but then, I don't know. You know that's, um, I'm a fruitcake. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like, why hasn't, uh, why hasn't, streaming our bodies gotten onto this i don't know you just there's been a lot of if we um, see a variety or variety article come out tomorrow we know that uh, we've we've done our job we've done our job and we've spread the spread the word but that whole sort of chinatown-esque which definitely la confidential kind of fed into or fed off i um, i didn't like the two jakes but i did like yeah two jakes was a bit muddled mm. it was harvey cartel was in that wasn't he I've read an interview with Robert Town because he famously wasn't happy with Chinatown. Mm-hmm. At least he didn't like the ending, and I think him and Polanski didn't get along. And there's another director who's cancelled. So you know who's made some terrific films. So I just want to add that this is the dichotomy, the quandary that you live with as a film fan, is that uh, filmmakers do bad things, but say they make great films. Well, sometimes. They, they're, they're people, so they're people. Caravaggio killed a man on a tennis court. What are you going to do? You're going to burn Caravaggio's paintings? I don't know. Mm. It seems like that's just a, a, a sort of deal you do, right? It's not the uh, it's not the person; it's the work. But you know, Woody Allen's still making films, and uh, mm. people are giving him money to do so. Yeah, then things get really weird because it's it is it is business. It's it, there's money being given to somebody. He's being provided and afforded opportunities, and I think that then ties in with the sort of polit- social politics and in terms of the perceptions and how the optics of it and how it se- how it looks then he has relationships with companies like he had that Amazon deal i believe he was suing Amazon because he had a contract with them and he was going to make several films with them and essentially that all just tanked and mm. they just backed out of the deal and he sort of got frozen out and he has sued Amazon. I don't know what the outcome of that trial was or if it has even gone to trial. It's all very, very messy and weird. But there's no doubt that his output of the last few years is nowhere near as strong as I, I early don't. Stuff. I can't really say I've watched much from mm. any time soon. It's, it's the old classics that I'm happy yeah. to watch. Yeah, I love bananas. Yeah, uh, is it Sleeper? Sleeper's terrific. Everything you always is wanted to, to know, know about sex, sex, but were afraid to ask. Yes, that that is very funny. That era, and then Manhattan, Annie Hall. I um, think Annie Hall's probably my favourite. Annie Hall has some has some funny. Although Manhattan looks amazing, I love the black and white. Amazing. Yep, looks amazing. But when you think about the actual plot after you've watched it, and you're oh, like, hey, 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 calm down. What are you <laughs> doing thinking, dissecting a plot? Yeah, uh, I, it's, um, uh, yeah, it, it's a problem. It's, it, it unfortunately is a little bit it's like creepy. you do movie reviews or something. Yeah. <laughs> What's All right. Well, that's it for this week. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Thank you very much.